Let us turn to the 103rd Psalm, please. The Lord, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments to do them. The entire passage, of course, is discussing the mercy of God, the grace of God, and then the frailty and the helplessness of man. And in discussing the mercy of God and the grace of God, the Lord is merciful, the Lord is gracious. We're told that he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. And in this larger catechism, we have a whole section in here, what doth every sin deserve? What doth every sin deserve? I want to read it to you. Now, the larger catechism it is, the larger catechism. And I want to read you from this larger catechism because this is the largest section of the confession. There are more pages in this than any other confession itself isn't as large as this. The shorter catechism, of course, is very short. But this is the detailed specifying of these matters that concern sin. And this has been completely removed from the old confession. There's no connection anymore. It's gone entirely. And Time magazine, in its article today, which I just got this morning, call this thing archaic and little used. Archaic and little used. It's out of date, it's little used, nobody paying attention about it, so they don't need it anyhow. Now, what does every sin deserve at the hands of God? Every sin deserves even the least. 
being against the sovereignty, goodness, and holiness of God, and against his righteous law, it deserveth his wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come, and cannot be expiated but by the blood of Christ. Even the smallest little sin, the, the smallest sin, deserves the wrath and the curse of God both in this life and in the life to come. And we've reached a day where nobody cares about sin anyhow. Who cares anyhow? But every sin, even the smallest one, is against his sovereignty, he's Lord. It's against his goodness, he set forth his commandments. It's against his holiness, the very nature of his being. And the smallest fraction of a sin deserves the curse and the wrath of God in this life and in the life that is to come. And there's not any way you can get rid of it. There's no way you can get out from under it. There's no way you can free your soul from it. There's no possible way in which the, uh, the, the, the curse and the consequences of that one little sin can be expiated except by the blood of Jesus. Only by the blood of Jesus is it possible. My, oh my, let me read you this. What doth God require of us that we may escape his wrath and curse due to us by reason of the transgression of the law? What does God require of us? Answer, that we may escape the wrath and curse of God due to us by reason of the transgression of the law he requireth of us repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. We must repent. We must confess that we've sinned. We must realize that we have offended God. And then we must put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that brings us into the estate of salvation. And then the confession goes on and says... Also, the diligent use of the outward means whereby Christ communicateth unto us the benefits of his mediation. We repent of our sins, we confess Christ, and we're saved. And then he asked us to make a diligent use of these outward means. What are the outward means whereby Christ communicateth unto us the benefits of his mediation? The outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicateth to his church the benefits of his mediation are all his ordinances, especially the Word, and it's a big capital W in this larger catechism, sacraments and prayer, all of which are made effectual to the elect for their salvation. All right, how is the Word made effectual to salvation? The Spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, and that's a big capital W, and effectual means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners, of driving them out of themselves, and drawing them unto Christ. 
of conforming them to his image and subduing them to his will, of strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, of building them up in his grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. My, that's a lot of things the Word does, isn't it? Just listen to this. How is the Word made effectual? Well, the Spirit of God maketh the reading of it. You're reading the Bible through. You're reading the Scriptures. You sit and you read it. But especially the preaching of the Word. You're to go and sit under the preaching of the Word of God. You're to go and attend to the place where men are ministering the Word of truth. And God maketh the Word. This is the means you believe the word, you're saved, and you then you sit under the word, and the word blesses your soul, and he says all these things that will do, first the word will be an effectual means for enlightening you, and for convincing you, and for humbling you. The word will drive you out of yourself. The word will draw you unto Christ. The word will enable you to conform unto the image of Christ. And the Word will subdue you to His will. And then what else does it do? Well, His Word will strengthen you against the temptations. And when the devil came and tempted the Lord, what did he do? Quoted the Scripture to him. Quoted the Scripture to him. The Word of God, this Word, will strengthen you against temptations. And then the corruptions, the sin that come, the Word will keep you from sin. And then are building them up in grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Now that's a larger catechism. He hath not dealt with us after our sins. In the first place, in his infinite mercy, he permitted us to continue to live physically on the earth, even though we were sinners and under his curse and deserve this wrath and this judgment. Only because of his mercy we're not consumed. That's all. He hasn't dealt with us after our sins. His mercy has permitted us to continue to exist even though we deserve this wrath and this curse. And what else has he done? Well, he's provided the Savior. He's provided the Scriptures. He's provided a Deliverer. He's even provided preachers whereby we can hear this message proclaimed that it might reach our souls and might bless us and he hath not dealt with us after our sins. He has come to us in great mercy. Now a little earlier in this larger catechism, beloved, we have another section I'd like to call your attention to that deals with matter of justification and sanctification and it all comes in just at this point in a very... Uh, effective way. <clears throat> Wherein do justification and sanctification differ? And here we have these long answers. Let me read you what justification is. What is justification? Justification or justifying faith is a saving grace wrought in the heart of the sinner by the Spirit and the Word of God, whereby he, being convinced of his sin and misery, and of the disability of himself, you can't save yourself, 
and all other creatures to recover him out of his lost condition, not only assented to the truth of the promise of the gospel, but receiveth and resteth upon Christ and his righteousness therein, held forth for pardon of sin and for the accepting and accounting of his person righteous in the sight of God for salvation. Justification by faith is a saving grace. God gives that grace and that grace saves you. Whereby you as a sinner come to realize that you're undone, you're hopeless, neither yourself nor anybody else or any other power can do anything to deliver you up out of your sin. And then you rest wholly upon Christ. You turn to Christ and you believe in him and you rest wholly upon him. And then when you have put your faith in Christ, God Almighty assures you, God Almighty accredits his righteousness to your account, and you are justified in the sight of God. Now that's it. Now let's read the difference. This is this larger catechism, which is archaic. Nobody pays any attention to it anymore, except these poor, outdated Bible Presbyterians. Wherein do justification and sanctification differ? Although sanctification be inseparably joined with justification, yet they differ. In that God in justification imputeth the righteousness of Christ. In sanctification his spirit infuseth grace and enableth to the exercise thereof. In the former, that is justification, sin is pardoned. In the latter, it is subdued. Sanctification is the process of subduing, 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 trampling underfoot, subduing, subduing, subduing. The sin that's in all our members and all our parts is still a part of us. In sanctification, his spirit infuses grace and enableth to the exercise thereof. In the former, that is justification, sin is pardoned. In the latter, it is subdued. That is, in sanctification, sin is subdued. The one doth equally free all believers from the revenging wrath of God. If you're justified, beloved, you have been freed from all the curse and the revenging wrath of God against sin. And that perfectly in this life, that they may never fall again into condemnation. Once you're saved, you're going to be saved for all eternity. And once you've been justified, you don't get unjustified. Once you have been justified by the grace of God and you've been truly born again, you enter into that estate in which God imputes to you the righteousness of Christ. The other, that is sanctification, is neither equal in all nor in this life perfect in any, but groweth up to perfection. And I assure you, beloved, that some of you are better than the others. Some of you have grown a little bit more in grace than others of you have. Some of you are more sanctified. 
where was it the other day something happened and somebody turned to me and said Dr. McIntyre I'm sorry but I lost my sanctification well they lost it alright they got their temper they lost their sanctification sanctification is a growth in grace and over the years we ought to be able to see that growth in ourselves and we ought to see it in others and furthermore we all know that we are subject to the effects and consequences of sin still in our being and that we have this struggle that goes on of which sanctification is the process of grace whereby we overcome now that's it let me read you another one of these big questions in the larger catechism after we have this question here what's the difference between uh, whence arises the imperfections of sanctification in believers now, beloved, we don't believe in perfection. We're not the holiness crowd that say they've never sinned and we're going to be perfect in this life. We don't believe that. Bible doesn't teach you're going to get perfect right now. You'll never be perfect, beloved, until the Lord takes you into his presence and then he'll perfect your soul. And on the resurrection day with your newer body, you will be perfect in that day, but not now. Not now. And that's why, though we're all saved and we're all growing in grace, we have to recognize this, we have to bear with each other, we have to be gracious and kind and tender in our affections one toward another, and we have to help each other along this road. But it goes on in this great, or the Westminster Confession goes on, whence arises the imperfections of sanctification in believers? Now listen to this answer. The imperfections of sanctification in believers ariseth from the remnants of sin abiding in every part of them and the perpetual lustings of the flesh against the spirit whereby they are often foiled with temptations and fall into many sins are hindered in all their spiritual services and their best works are imperfect and defiled in the sight of God. May not true believers by reason of their imperfections and the many temptations and sins they are overtaken with fall away from the estate of grace? Answer. True believers, by reason of the unchangeable love of God and his decree and covenant, at uh, his covenant to give them perseverance, their inseparable union with Christ, his continual intercession for them, and the spirit and seed of God abiding in them, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. All right, now turn back to the 103rd Psalm in your Bible. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Thank God he hasn't nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. We haven't received what we deserve. 
and what we deserved, he inflicted upon Christ. So we are in a state of grace, and we're the recipients of the mercy of God in relationship to our sins. Now verse 11 and 12. These are magnificent. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Beloved, here I go again, but I guess I'll have to talk like this every once in a while. For somehow or other, when I go down to Cape May and I go down to the Christian Admiral and that big old ocean stretched out there and the sky's all up above you, and the sun comes out of the sea and it sets in the bay and you've got all this nature about you. Uh, you have a, a better appreciation of the place where we're living. I don't know. Collingswood's all right. Don't misunderstand me. I, I love the place and I live here and I tend to stay here. But uh, I don't have an ocean across from me and I don't have all these other things moving around that you have down in Cape May. But when you get out there at that ocean and there's that sea and you start looking up into the sky, you just think that sky's come right down on top of the ocean. It just looks like the sky comes right down to it. And then on other occasions when you look up, it looks like something happened to the sky. It ran off and left you. And the thing has just gone into the great expanse and you can't tell where it is. It's the most amazing way. The sky looks like it comes right down onto the ocean and then it looks like it goes up and if you look out on the sea, if the sky is the right color and the sea is the right color, you can't tell where the sea begins and where the sky ends. And you can't tell where the sky ends and the sea begins. You just can't tell it. You've had that experience. Now at this point, the psalmist says, as high as the heavens are above the earth. That's how high his mercy is. It's utterly infinite the amount of mercy that God will bestow upon you. And then when you turn and look at the east and you look at the west, or this is the east on this side, and you look at the west on this side, and you turn and it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Once Christ died for them, and once you believe he died for them, and once you're justified by them, then, beloved, your transgressions have been separated from you. They've been taken off of you as far as the east is from the west, and you just keep on calculating that as long as you want to, and you'll never bring them together again. Now, that's the figure, and that's the reference. The heavens are high, that's his mercy. The east and west are separated by infinity and that's the pardon which he has bestowed upon you and me because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. Now, beloved, if Christ didn't pay the complete penalty for your sins, they're not separated as far as the east and the west. The part he didn't pay is still on you. And when you come to look at these teachings of the Bible about the mercy being as high as the heavens and about his pardon separating the sins from the east and the west, you must recognize that that pardon was complete. And that pardon covered everything because Jesus Christ made a full and complete and magnificent atonement for every sin that we did commit, we will commit, and we are justified by grace through faith in him. Now that's his song. 
My beloved, look at verse 13. In verse 13, the psalm changes entirely. At this time, like is a father, we become children. We have a father. We were sinners. He didn't deal with us according to our sin, but we were sinners. He then provided a Savior for us. He then separated our sins from us. And then what happens? He sustains a fatherly relationship to us from that time on. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He saved us. We're redeemed. We've been justified. We're growing in the knowledge of the word. We're being sanctified. We're growing in grace. We're going through these experiences. He wants us to grow in our souls. But look at this, beloved. He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. He knows how frail. He knows how weak. Lord, thou knowest how frail I am. And beloved, that is a great comfort to any man who is seeking to serve the Lord. And yet we have so many limitations. We have so many impossibilities. We have so many frustrations. We have so many frailties so far as the memory is concerned. We have so many frailties so far as our speech is concerned. We have so many frailties so far as our ability to communicate with people are concerned. We have so many frailties. And we get all kinds of difficulties heaped upon us. And he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are like the grass of the field. It flourisheth today. Tomorrow it's cut down. And it passes away and nobody knows the place thereof. And God has come down in his infinite mercy to a creature of his who is dust. He's like the grass. He's like the flower. He's come down to lift him up and to give him grace to save him, to give him grace that he might be sanctified. And as we journey along this line, you can turn to God and say, Lord, you know I need sleep you know I get tired you know I have these problems he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust and it's the most marvelous thought to believe that our God in his care of us as a heavenly father is mindful of these things that is mindful of these things. You know, when I told these three young men they're going on this, on this trip across the country, and I had a final talk with them, and I, I met them again, but first time I talked with them, I had them three of them in one room there, and we were talking, and I told them, I said, now you young men, you men go ahead and do this and keep going. And I says, I'm going to appoint... Uh, Mr. Pinckney, he's a, he's a captain of this group. There were three of them, you know. And when you get three men traveling together, and you, you can have a lot of ideas, but one of them has to be the captain. One of them has to make some decisions once in a while if there's any differences of opinion. And you have to go on. So I, I, I said, Mr. Pinckney, you'll be the captain. If you folks have any problems, you're the man that makes the decisions, final decisions. You go ahead. They all nodded. Then we were talking further. We were downstairs, and I said, Brethren, I said, now don't you forget to take good care of yourself. Eat. Get some food. Take time to eat, I said. And I said, also take time to pray. That's what I told those men. I said, you're going out and on this road. You're going to be traveling. 
and take time to pray. And then I remembered something. Of course, this is the kind of language we don't use today, but I remember a little expression that, that, uh, that my dear grandmother used to use when I was a boy, and I'll never forget it. Isn't it interesting how things like that come into your lives and they stay with you? They'll always stay with you. And your children are going to remember things, and your grandchildren are going to remember things too. But my dear grandmother was a missionary, and she did an awful lot of traveling. And she traveled by horse and buggy, and she also traveled by horseback. And she fell off a horse and broke her hip. But I shall never, never forget. She used to say, Prayer and provender hindereth no man on the way. Prayer and provender hindereth no man on the way. Always take time to say your prayers. Always take time to get your food. Always get, take time to take care of these things. It won't hinder you. It won't hinder you on the way. He knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. Our heavenly Father is indeed a gracious Father in his mercy. He kept his wrath above us. He didn't destroy us instantly because of our sin. That's what Adam and Eve needed was to have been destroyed instantly because of their sin. But he permitted them to live. And then he promised the Savior. He provided the Redeemer. And now we've received this Christ of ours. And we've been justified. And now we're in the processes of its sanctification. Now we're growing. And as we live this life day by day, remember that that Father knoweth our frame. And he is tender in his mercy toward those of us that are his. And he's going to lift up the feeble hands that hang down. He's going to make a straight path for our feet. God is going to do these things for us. And God is going to take care of us. And God is going to direct our paths. And God is going to be unto us the guide and the strength and the helper and the deliverer that we need in this awful world of sin that we might be faithful witnesses to him who redeemed us at such tremendous cost. And then finally look at this. Verse 17, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon that, them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. To such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. He's going to be merciful to us. He's going to take care of it. He's going to use it. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. It'll abide on us as it did in other generations. Upon those of us that fear him. And his righteousness unto children's children, our children, our grandchildren, and those beyond us. To such as keep his covenant. And to those that remember his commandments to do it. My, what promises they are. And they're there. And in God's own time and in God's own way, in God's own providence, he'll bring them to pass. And that's where our comfort is. And that's where our great assurance is. And may God bless you. How you can stand for these great things of our creed.
the larger catechism with these questions I've just read to you tonight to think that they are no more they are no more they're not archaic they summarize the truth they're not something that we can dispense with they're something that we need so that we can better understand God's dealings with our souls and with our hearts and with our minds so that we can better serve the true and the living God we need the larger catechism we need the doctrine of the larger catechism we need the summary of truth which God has given us here and beloved I wouldn't be fighting I wouldn't be standing I wouldn't be in charge of a hearse coming across the country I would these things tonight if I didn't believe in this great covenant which God's given to us and you know when this dear lady came from down there in Salisbury Maryland her name is Mrs. Catherine Holland came over to Cape May she said Dr. McIntyre I just had to come over to see you she says you have no idea what we do, we're doing down there to raise money to keep you on the air and she began to tell me all the things that people were doing to make money so they could keep that radio broadcast on the air but she says I can't go to any Presbyterian church she says that church I was in she says that's the church of my father's and she says I've left the thing Presbyterian church she says it's one of the churches that McKemmy started but she says I came up here to talk to you she says I want you to bring your hearse down to McKemmy land I want you to come on down here with it. And she says, Dr. McIntyre, she says, you know what I do on Sunday? She says, I can't go to these Methodist churches. I can't go to these. I just won't go to them. And she said, somewhere or other, somebody told her that, that we made a tape. And she says, I get one of your Sunday morning tapes every Sunday. We get it. And she says, in my living room, she says, my husband comes in. She's got another neighbor comes in. And she says, we sit there on Sunday morning and hear your church service as it's recorded on your tape. And that's our church. And I said, how many members of my church in Collingswood would do a stunt like that in order to worship the Lord? And then when I got back and heard and talked with her, Beloved, when we go down there to McKimmy Land and go down into that area, I want to take a big crowd and we want to go down there and I want to stand alongside of that monument or stand out in the field down there where it is and I'm going to take some of these early texts that I found that these men used and I'm going to preach for. 300 years, beloved, have passed. 275 years have passed 250 years have passed but I stand in this pulpit tonight with you people and I believe exactly what Francis McKemmy believed I believe exactly what those men believe so far as God is concerned and the Bible is concerned and salvation is concerned and we stand in that great and mighty historic succession here in our country and God has put you and me in this particular place right here at this time of the history of the church that we shall be able to remember this great commandment and this great covenant. He knoweth our frame he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are like the grass, like the flower of the field, which is soon cut down, and it withereth, and the wind passeth over it, and who shall know the place thereof? But the word of our God abideth forever, and the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. And your security tonight depends upon that blood your justification tonight depends upon that blood your hope tonight depends solely upon that precious blood of Christ 
There is no place, no power, no way that you can have your sins expiated, blotted out, pardoned, except by the blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed on Calvary's cross. Precious blood. Let us pray. Our Father and our God tonight, we thank Thee for this Mrs. Holland down there in Salisbury. It's doing our best to worship Thee even alone in her own front room on Sundays, playing the little tape that's made of our sermons and of this church service on Sundays. God bless that dear woman. And we saw the keenness of her discernment. We saw the incisiveness of her understanding of Thy commandments. Lord, give that discernment and give that incisiveness and give that courage to thy people today. And may we come to this table Sunday morning with hearts full of gratitude and praise because thou hast given grace to us. Amen.